this morning, I'm going to continue. In fact, we're going to wrap up a series of messages that we've been in called Revival. We, are, uh, we're, we have been in a, just an incredible, uh, incredible season, and it's been, it's been amazing to watch what God is doing. And there's been a lot of themes that have been running throughout uh, this series, and we've been learning about revival and learning about the people of God and when they experience the presence of God and when they experience his move. And, and a couple of the things that we, we learned, I was, I was praying earlier, when it comes to a, an atmosphere where people are engaging the presence of God, there's a couple of things that you always see. Uh, people, first of all, anticipate. There's an anti- anticipation. And I love to see uh, how anticipation is growing in the heart of the people at North Place. And, and you may say, well, how do you know that anticipation is growing? Well, I can tell you, uh, when anticipation grows, it overwhelms our cultural tendencies. We all know here in Durban, our cultural tendencies is to show up late and to start slowly. Hello? We show up late and we start slowly. And one of the things that I'm beginning to notice, now I'm going to be honest, it's not absolutely overwhelming yet, however... I'm beginning to notice a shift in in the atmosphere of North Place Church. Some of us are beginning to show up early and be ready to start. As we become people of the presence of God, I guarantee you what's going to happen, what's going to happen is we're going to show up early and we're going to be ready to start. There will be a day... There will be a day when the teenagers of this church will fill the whole front section of the church. Because they're going to be so hungry for the presence of God. The youth pastor, the volunteers are going to have to be trying to calm them down before service starts. Because they're going to be so ready for the presence of God. There, there, there will be a day when we're going to hear the children all the way several walls away from us. We're going to hear them counting down to start their services because they're anticipating a moment when they're going to meet with God. And there'll be some old cranky people who come in and say, is there anything we can do about quieting these kids down? And all of us who are here today are going to say, hey, be quiet because that's revival. That day is coming. That day is coming when, 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 when the front rows of this church are going to be filled up long before it's time to start. And the countdown clock is going to be beating. And it's going to be counting down. And the worship team is going to be up here. And everybody's going to be looking because we're anticipating that God is about to show up. There's a day that's coming. And, I, and it's already starting to come. I can hear it when I'm over there. And I can hear it in worship where everyone in the room is actively engaged in the moment of meeting with God, that not only is there not only is there this anticipation, but there is this heart in which everyone is actively engaged in the move of God. Because that is what revival is when you study it biblically. And we've seen that over and over again. And there's been this tension as we've been talking about how revival starts as this personal thing. But where we're coming to today is to understand that all revival, although it starts with this personal thing, it always moves into this this corporate thing. We've been talking a lot about how revival and disruption really are synonymous concepts. And I don't know about you, but the word disruption can be a little bit of a, a negative word. Uh, many of us, we just don't like, we just don't like disruption. Many of us like our routines. 
Uh, we like the normalcy of life, and it's in the normalcy of life that we really experience peace, right? When the rhythms of the normalcy of life that we really, I mean, it's exciting to have exciting moments, but we really like that normalcy. The last couple of months have been super busy, so much going on. My normalcy of life has been totally disrupted. And while I enjoy those exciting events, that, that disruption of the normalcy has been, it's been, a, it's been problematic for me. And, and I have to be honest, the last probably 24 to 36 hours, uh, if you've been at my home or with me and my family, you would have seen that I have been a total baby in the last 24 to 36 hours. And the reason why is, well, there's lots of reasons why, uh, but the main reason why is because I have to travel uh, this week, and I am so upset about having to travel. Um, I get to go conduct a, a leader training event, and I love those kind of things, and it's a big part of, of, of who I am and something I love to do. Uh, but I have been dreading uh, this trip. I've been unhappy about this trip because just this week, I've been able to finally, after two or three months, I've been finally able to get back into a normal routine and rhythm. And yesterday, it was dawning on me that I'd had this wonderful week where I was able to get a little bit of rest and start getting back into a normal life rhythm, and that felt so good. And now, all of a sudden, next week, that's all going to be messed up. And so I've been a total baby uh, for the last 24 hours because my rhythm is about to get messed up, and it disrupts things, and I don't like that. This rhythm has has felt good. Things have been going good. I've been resting better. I've been eating better. I even worked out four days this week. Now, it was just 15 minutes a day, but... Like, it matters. I wore this jacket this morning because I didn't want to make anyone stumble because my guns are starting to pop. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, rhythm feels rhythm feels good. Disruption can be disruption can be difficult, but disruption can also be a good thing. Pastor Aaron talked about it last Sunday. Uh, you know, we've seen how disruption serves for the good of humanity. It was like 2004, 2005, or 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. He mentioned about uh, Facebook and uh, how, how Facebook was a disruptive force in the marketplace. It really changed the way uh, advertisers advertise to people. And, and it's been interesting during this series, I've talked to several of you who are in the marketplace, and, and you uh, keyed in on that word disruption because you hear that a lot in your corporate environments of how, how much uh, disruptive forces in the marketplace or disruptive companies really have become so significant to moving the marketplace forward. It's through disruption that there's an introduction of new products and services that really make life more convenient and better for us. You think of companies like Uber, you think of, uh, you think of Amazon or Take-A-Lot or things like that. And, and, and for all maybe the negative sides of those things, the positive side of those things is that it's made life more convenient. It's made life better for many of us. And so disruption can be a negative thing, but it also can be a positive thing. During this series, we have learned that God moves among his people through rhythms and revivals. 
So in other words, God moves among his people through set patterns. This morning we celebrated the Lord's table. That is a rhythm of the church. There is power and life that comes in that rhythm. A big part of God growing a people from generation to generation to generation really came through them keeping certain rhythms. Doctrine is taught through rhythm. Faith is passed on through rhythm. Rhythm is a wonderful thing, but so is revival. So is disruptive moments where God interrupts the rhythm and says something incredible or powerful or moving to his people when he brings revelation. In the normal cycle of human existence, God moves in rhythm and he moves in revival. The same is true in life and death, but for God's people, it's more than just life and death. It's life and death, then rebirth, revival, renewal, restoration. In biblical history, you see that over and over and over again. In fact, it is what distinguishes the people of God from all of the other people of the earth is the fact that it's not just life and death, but it's life and death and rebirth. And so when we talk about revival, when we talk about renewal we're talking about the fact that God shows up when we think it's the end when we think all is lost God in his sovereignty and his choice of his people he shows up and he renews all things we've said it a few times and it's something that we really want to be seared into your heart Revival is a season of God's disruptive movement among his people, get this, for his glory. The reason God shows up, the reason God, the reason God causes there to be rebirth and to be renewal is because he wants his glory to be demonstrated in and through his people. We celebrated the Lord's table today, and as I mentioned, that is a part of the rhythm of the history of the church. But also, you may not be aware of it, today historically is another big day in the rhythm of the church. Today is the day of Pentecost. How many of you have ever heard of that before? Today is the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost is a special day that is celebrated by the church and has been celebrated throughout church history, and its existence actually begins before the church in what was called the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. So today as we gather, we're gathering on one of those rhythm days. But the interesting thing about this rhythm day is that it is actually a moment in time in which we see the convergence between rhythm and revival. It's a day in which we see God showing up and doing something in the rhythm of his people to demonstrate his power in a new way, to move them to a new place. Pentecost means 50. The idea is that there has been 50 days that has passed since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And on that 50th day was the day of celebration. It was the day, 50 days after Passover, in which the people would celebrate what God had done for them in providing for them. I grew up, I've told you this many times, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up around uh, a highly spiritual environment. And I grew up thinking 
uh, that people rejected Pentecostalism because of its connection with odd and weird spiritual stuff. Any of you who grew up in charismaticism or have been around it or Pentecostalism, you know we're weird, right? Like, if, any, if anyone hasn't told you, yeah, we believe some weird stuff. And so I grew up thinking people reject Pentecostalism, they reject charismaticism, they reject this stuff that I believe because of its connection with weird or strange spiritual phenomenon. The more that I have grown and the more that I have really looked at what goes on in the world, the more that I have realized that people are perfectly willing to believe crazy stuff. The same people who believe that I'm weird because I read my Bible and I, I read about gifts of the Holy Spirit that are operating in the church and in the people. The same people who think I'm weird for believing that believe in chakras <laughs> and aligning their energy. That's pretty weird. The same people who believe that I'm weird in believing that God is active to move through his people to declare his word, that God is active to move through his people to do divine healing. The same people who believe that I'm weird to believe all of that stuff actually believe that all of this came into existence through a big bang. That's pretty weird. That all of this was some cosmic accident and collision of protons and neutrons and atoms and come on what i've come to realize as i've gotten a little older in my life is that people are willing to believe weird and crazy stuff see i don't think that the issue with pentecostalism or the issue with charismaticism is really an issue with believing things that are strange or that are difficult to comprehend I've come to believe after years of living and experiencing and studying scripture, I've come to believe that the rejection of Pentecostalism has less to do with skepticism of mysterious spiritual phenomenon and it has more to do with the disruptive egalitarian nature of biblical revival. You may say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, if you study Pentecost, and if you study revival in scripture, what you find is what happens in revival is that God shows up and he gives his power willingly to everyone. And what I've learned about human nature and what I've especially learned about people who have power is that they don't want to share power. The church rejects Pentecostalism because Pentecostalism calls us to a place in which we have to accept the fact that all people, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of age, regard did I did you hear me say that? Regardless of age, regardless of class, regardless of socioeconomic status, all people have access to the power of God. That is the message of Pentecostalism, and that is the reality of biblical revival. And the religious world simply cannot accept that. 
because religious people love power just like all broken people love power. The idea that all people, regardless of gender or race or class, are equally empowered is just too much for the religious. It is simply too much for the broken, sinful heart, yet it is the reality of biblical revival. Let me show you this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were setting. Now, if you've been with us during this series of messages, there have been, as I mentioned earlier, several themes that have been running throughout this series. If you haven't been with us, I would strongly encourage you to go to any one of our social media streams, to go to our website, to go to Podbean, whatever, and to get the podcast of these messages because there's been several themes that have been running. And I'm going to do my best to try to tie many of them together today as we land the plane, if you will, on this conversation. Concept of biblical revival and the culmination or, or the coronation probably better said of this concept of revival at least among the modern church really finds its place in Acts chapter 2. Jesus has ascended into heaven and as he's ascended into heaven he's told his disciples go wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. And when the promise comes, you're going to receive power and you're going to go out in power to do what it is that I've called you to do. And so we find them in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We find them in the upper room doing what Jesus has told them to do. They are praying, they are fasting, they are waiting on the move of God. They're celebrating the festival of weeks just like any other Jewish person would have celebrated the festival of weeks. It was the rhythm of their religious, spiritual life to celebrate the festival of weeks. And so they were gathered much like many other people would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great festival as they were there. As they were moving through the rhythm of their life as spiritual people and as cultural Jews, they would have had this moment in which God shows up and he disrupts the rhythm to do something new among his people. You see, what happens is the people of God would celebrate the Passover and then they would move into the season of harvest. So right after Passover, they would have come to the season of harvest. There were two harvest times a year. Remember, they were an agricultural people. So two times of the year, they would have harvest. And in that first harvest of the year, two weeks or a couple of weeks into harvest, they would stop as a people. This was the custom of the people of God. They would stop after the first couple of weeks when the first harvest was brought in. in the so the first harvest of the first harvest harvest they would stop and they would say let's throw a party cheers let's celebrate what God has done let's celebrate his provision and so they would break out the first fruits of the first fruits of the year and they would throw a party and they would offer offerings to God they would offer grain offerings they would offer wine offerings they would offer oil offerings and they would offer these offerings to God to acknowledge that he was their provision that he provided for them that he was their supply 
This was a time in which they celebrated the fertility that Yahweh provided among them. Let this sink in. Those of you who have been with us during this series, let this sink in. This was a time in which the Jewish people said, you know what? We serve Yahweh, and Yahweh brings fertility to his people. Imagine the history of the people of God and the people that they would have been surrounded by who worshipped false fertility gods. And so everything you see in them bringing grain offerings and oil offerings and wine offerings before the Lord was a demonstration of the abundance of God to the people who surrounded the nation of God's people. It was their way of saying, you worship these fertility gods and yet you're not fertile. We worship Yahweh and look at our fertility because of what he's provided for us. They were demonstrating the glory of God to the nations that surrounded them that did not know true fertility because they did not worship Yahweh. That's what the Feast of Weeks was really all about. And so when the day of Pentecost came and the disciples were gathered there and they were all in that room, they were participating in this celebration of fertility just like everyone else would have been celebrating. And the Bible says that as they were there and as they were praying and as they were seeking God, that disruptively the Holy Spirit came into the room. Disruptively, the Holy Spirit interrupted their pattern and the power of God was poured out. And everyone there, everyone there was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire. Remember I told you we believe weird things. Tongues of fire set on each of them. And they began to speak in languages they had never heard, they had never learned. We find out later in scripture, some of them were known human languages and some of them were even heavenly languages. And as all of this is taking place, that remember the city of Jerusalem around them would have been celebrating Pentecost. So there would have been a lot of cheers going on. Are you with me? Come on, are you with me? There would have been a lot of partying going on. Because the people were celebrating the abundance of being the people of God. And so as what was happening in the upper room began to spill out of the upper room. Here's a nugget for you. When the move of God starts to happen, it spills out of the room it started in. Just, just keep that for later. It began to spill out of the upper room. And the city started looking and saying, what's going on there? Oh, I know what's going on. These people have had too much to drink. That's exactly what they said. These people are drunk. They've been cheersing too much. They've been celebrating what God provides too much. These people are drunk. And so the rumors began to swirl around, around those people and said, they've been celebrating too much. They're drunk. That's why they're speaking in these crazy languages. That's why they're acting this way. That's why they're doing these things. They're involved in all of this excess. Something is wrong with these people. They've gone crazy. They've drunk too much they've celebrated too much this is where we pick up in acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 then peter stood up with the 11 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. The rugby game came on early, man. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters. Who? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, on who? On who? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Some of you earlier when I said the word egalitarian, you were like, what is that? What does that word mean? What it means is it's for everybody. It's for everybody. What I've learned about revivalism and what I have learned about the church and what I've learned about religious people and what I've learned about human culture is that human culture, human culture, Human culture, remember, what did, what did pastor teach us about culture the other day? Culture is always, culture is always, it's always oppressive. Human culture is always oppressive. Why? Because some people got power and they want to keep other people from having power. Because the only way I keep my power is to make sure you don't have any power. People reject the honest move of God. People reject biblical revivalism, not because it's weird, not because it's strange, not because they can't explain it, because they don't want to share power. That's why in the modern church in 2021 or 2022, whatever year it is, the problem that we have with our modern revivals is that we want some super spiritual prophets over here who we all have to run to and give money and we all have to run to and beg them for a blessing and beg them for a prayer and beg them to lay their hand on us and it's all garbage and nonsense and none of it's in the Bible. But we like it that way. We want it to be that way because we can understand that it resonates with the human mindset that some people have power and others don't. We like it when we say men can have power, but women can't. White people can have power, but black people can't. Hello? The church is full. The church history is full of this same mindset that has discombobulated the people of God throughout human history. It's the mindset that God is for some people and he's not for others. That God has power for some people and he doesn't for others. And yet biblical revival teaches us that God, the God who created all things, not only willfully gives salvation to all man, but he also shares in his glory. He shares in his power with all men. Not men as in man, men as in all creation. Man, woman, young, old, red, yellow, black, and white. God says, I created you all in my image. 
and I have power for you all. Revival is the restoration of God-ordained fruitfulness. It is the moment God moves us from the grind of human production to the grand of his provision. And the reality of revival is that that promise is for all man, regardless of who we are or where we come from, regardless of our gender or our social status. You see, here's the thing. If we are not careful as human beings, we can become like those who do not know God, those who hoard and desire power for themselves, those who believe that it is through their own accomplishment, through their own fruitfulness, through their own labor, through their own work through their own production that we have fruitfulness we have bounty in our lives if I work my business plan hard enough then the business is sure to be a success we know it's true we all believe it because we all believe if I work the land hard enough then the land is certainly going to be fruitful if I consummate my marriage the way I'm supposed to then I'll have babies hello I could go on and on explaining it, but the truth is, if we were to be honest in this room, most of us fall into the human trap of believing that if I just grind out the work, then I'm promised the fruitfulness. The Feast of Pentecost was all about the people of God recognizing and understanding that it is not in the grind of their labor that they are fruitful. It is in the glory of God that they are fruitful. The Feast of Pentecost was all about the people of God understanding that it was not, it was not, it was not because they were Israel alone that they had all of this wealth and that it was only for them. It was an understanding that God had blessed them so that they might be a blessing to the nations around them. The Feast of Weeks was a reminder to God's people that he is our supply and that he is our source and that he has called us to share in his glory. It was no coincidence that Peter quoted from the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost. In fact, it was a carefully orchestrated biblical, it was a, a carefully orchestrated biblical process of revelation that God brought his people through as Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and quoted from the book of Joel. If you want to understand the sermon on the day of Pentecost, you have to understand the minor prophet book of Joel in the Old Testament. In the minor prophet, prophet book in the Joel, of Joel in the Old Testament, this promise of Pentecost, this promise that Peter talked about was quoted from. Joel chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Let's go very quickly and look at this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel son of Bethuel. Hear this you elders. Listen all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? This prophecy starts with the people of God in a place of utter desolation. As you read the three-chapter book of Joel, what you find is that there has been a natural disaster that has happened in the land. A literal army of locusts has come through the land and completely devastated the land. Now the land has utterly been destroyed, so much so that, that the people are left with nothing. 
In fact, as you read Joel chapter 1, what you find as you read through Joel chapter 1 is that the people of God can no longer worship God the way that they have been called to worship God. Specifically, get this, this is gold. They cannot offer grain sacrifices. They cannot offer wine sacrifices. They cannot offer sacrifices that have oil in them or that made of oil because the land has been so devastated, they have nothing left to give to God. The entire book of Joel is a book about the people of God coming to God and saying, God, we're supposed to be demonstrating fertility to the nations around us, but we are so devastated that we can't even bring an offering to you. We can't even demonstrate your fertility to the nations, much less celebrate it ourselves because we have nothing left to offer. And it's fascinating as you read the book of Joel as the prophet goes between speaking to the people and speaking from the people to God back and forth and back and forth in this set of complaints to God, in this set of direction from God to the people. And as the prophecy starts out, Joel outlines God's word to the people who's saying, God, we have nothing to offer. I love the language though, Joel. It's so tied in to Acts chapter 2. Joel says, wake up, you drunkards. You people who are caught up in the excesses of thinking that you can do it on your own. You people who are drinking the old wine and so drunk on the old wine, you don't even know what's going on in front of you. Wake up. Wake up, you bridegroom and you bride who are weeping over the lost fertility of your marriage because of the bro. Wake up. Realize the infertility that is right in front of you as a result of the devastation that you've just looked through. If there's a word of the Lord for God's people, it's the right now, it's the book of Joel. The people of God were so drunk on old wine, they were caught up in their old rhythms that they were living in infertility and they didn't even understand it or know it. They were suffering and they didn't even connect it to the fact that they were not where they needed to be with God. Joel begins to speak to them and he begins to call the people back to what we have been talking about for the last several weeks, which is the idea that all revival, that renewal has to start with a personal revival. But get this, what Joel teaches us, what the book of Acts chapter 2 teaches us is that all revival may begin with a personal flicker, but it will spread into a corporate flame. Joel addressed each one of them as individuals. He talked to the farmer in chapter 1 and he said, you're ashamed and you're broken and you're drunk and you're disconnected because you're living in devastation and you don't even understand it. He said to the priest and the religious leaders, you're mourning and you're suffering because you don't have anything. You don't have anything in front of you to do what it is that you've been called to do. He calls each one of these individuals to a place of personal revival so that they could experience the corporate flame that God was calling them to. I don't have time to go into too much detail, so I'm going to move us forward into Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The Bible says, this is Joel speaking, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love as he relents from sending calamity. See, I believe in a world that is dominated by virtue signaling and protest. Perhaps the people of God should be less part cultural warriors 
Les Park posting on Instagram, Les Park, Les Park saying what we're against, and perhaps we should be more part prayer warriors. That's what the message of Joel was. Stop going on, stop fighting for, stop continuing in your cultural patterns, and seek God. The only answer for renewal, the only answer for fertility, the only answer for blessing is that you return to the Lord, for He is gracious and compassionate. As you read Joel chapter 2, the Bible says the prophet called everyone, he called everyone to come to this place of corporate prayer and corporate fasting. The people from every walk of life, no matter who they were or what they were doing, he said to the, to the bridegroom who was in the bride chamber, he said, go leave that pattern that you think is going to produce natural fruitfulness of your, for your life because it's not going to. Go ahead and abandon, go ahead and abandon the bride chamber and come to prayer. He said to the mother who was nursing, we both know that you're barren and there ain't no milk there so you might as well come to prayer he said to the priest who were offering up these fictitious sacrifices that didn't include wine and it didn't include grain that didn't include oil because there wasn't any there he said stop playing the games and going through all the symbols of a religious moment and come to God no matter who you are young old rich poor no matter who you are come to to God. Joel chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, the nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his, his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? See, here's the truth about biblical revival. When God's people embrace their identity as the people of God, God's heart moves him to act on their behalf. The Bible teaches us that over and over and over again. When the people of God seek him, God's heart turns towards his people. And he says, yes, those are my people. Joel chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn among the nations. In other words, God says, listen, if you will be my people, if you will come to me, if you'll leave your individuality and you'll come corporately to me and respond to me, no matter who you are or where you come from or what you're supposed to be doing, if you will respond to me, I will respond to you. If everyone, get this, if everyone is on equal ground at the foot of the cross, then everyone shares in equal power. Everyone shares in equal power in the flames of Pentecost. This is what biblical revival is. Biblical revival is not about North Place Church growing in an environment where we have some super preachers or super apostles or super prophets or super prayer team members who are so full of the power of God that you can go there and get your needs met. That's not biblical revival. 
that's more of the same garbage that has held people in bondage. Biblical revival. Biblical revival is that individuals, regardless of age, regardless of class, regardless of race, regardless of social standing, are so hungry, are so hungry and desperate for God, are so honest about their barrenness, the barrenness of human effort, the barrenness of going through religious practices and there being no oil or wine or grain to really conduct them. The barrenness of being in the field and the field is wiped out. The business is devastated. There's nothing there. The barrenness of the human process of reproduction being broken and askew. When we get honest about our barrenness instead of in the rhythm, instead of in the rhythm of trying to do it on our own, when we get honest and individually respond to God and corporately gather with hunger, God says, I show up. I'll show up and I'll give you fruitfulness. I'll give you fruitfulness. I'll heal your wombs. I'll heal your businesses. I'll heal your marriages. I'll heal your place in the workforce. God will show up and he'll say, There's more, there will be more than enough oil and grain and wine. There will be more than enough. There's more than enough power. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. Revival is for everyone. Well, Pastor, that's not my personality type. I'm, I'm just quiet and reserved. Sure you are. Until that football game comes on. You're throwing your shoe at the TV. It's not your personality. You've been programmed to think you have to come to church and behave like a church mouse. You've been programmed to think you've got to come here and be all quiet. You've been, you've been programmed to think that you've got to be subdued. You've been programmed to think that because you're not good enough or you're not the pastor or you're not on stage, that there's something less for you here or that God wants any less of you. That same passion that you root for Manchester with is the passion that the God of all creation wants from you. I don't mean to offend you, but that same passion that you had in that honeymoon stage of your marriage, God wants that same passion for you, that same awe and wonder and discovery. As the bride of Christ, God calls us to that. You've been programmed. 
been subdued. People that Joel prophesying to had been taken into slavery. Their children were being robbed from them. These people knew oppression. They knew injustice. When Joel says, stop, stop rending your clothes, rend your heart. He was saying, if you really care about oppression and injustice, if you really care about empowerment, it happens through a move of God. Come get it. Come experience it. Stop playing games and pretending. Stop acting like you care as you go through the motions of stuff that's really not going to make a difference. If you really care, if you're really passionate, stop what you're doing and come meet with your God. Lord, I am hungry for you. Your people are hungry for you. God, we need you. We desire you. We're looking towards you. God, we're tired of barrenness. And we're tired of pretending like the barrenness doesn't exist. God, my company is suffering. My job is suffering. My marriage is suffering. God, I'm broken. I'm barren. The locust has eaten it all. I need you, God. And pretending like, pretending like nothing is happening isn't getting me anywhere. God, you're here today to disrupt the pattern. And so, Lord, I lean into that disruption this morning, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, just like you showed up on the day of Pentecost, will you show up in my life right now? Will you show up in my life in this place? God, will you show up in our lives this week? I bless your people. Everything that they put their hand to this week, may they walk in the blessing and the favor of God. Go with us and create within us a hungry heart a hungry heart that we stop trying harder but instead we lean into you and your power because it is for all of us Lord I ask this in Jesus name Amen